this morning in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 1. If you got your Bible on you, phone Bible, paper Bible, go to John 15, verse 1. It will also be on the screen. We are going through the whole Gospel of John, verse by verse. We're in this amazing, impactful place of Scripture in this book. Jesus is coming at us with both barrels. We got to be listening, we got to be paying attention. Today is much the same. And Jesus, in this section of scripture we're going to look at today, he's going to come back to this gardening, horticultural image, metaphor today. And to be honest, that makes me, in a way, completely unqualified to preach this message, okay? Because unlike some of you, I do not have a gardening bone in my body. Do not have a green thumb. I love those of you that have that gift. Good for you. Use it. Awesome. Grow some vegetables. Grow some flowers. Do, do your thing. That is not the track the Lord has put me on. Uh, I remember when I was in grade four, our class went out to weed the flower garden at the school. They had this little flower garden. It was all overgrown. Let's go weed it. And I didn't know what I was doing. And so I'm just picking stuff out. And I found this really cool looking weed. Out it comes, and I don't know why I did this to this day, but I thought I would show the teacher, probably to sock up or something, eh? And I said, look at this awesome-looking weed I just got. And I kid you not, here's what the teacher did. It really ministered to me. She went, I can, etched into my brain. She said, Braden, she said, that is a pretty rare flower, and there's two or three of them in this whole garden, and you've now just uprooted it. Thanks very much. And I knew at that moment, that's when I had a future in the gardening industry, right? <laughs> Not so much. So we'll let Jesus do the talking on that today. How's that sound? Let's read John 15, verses 1 through 11. Jesus is speaking, and he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. He's talking to his disciples here. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, he says. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do how much? Nothing. Nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I love that verse. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be what? Full. Full. That, like much of the stuff surrounding this section of scripture, that is gold. What a section of scripture, and it's a joy to unpack this today, and God's got something for us in this today. First thing we got to do, though, if we're going to understand fully what we've just read, we've got to set the scene a little bit. Somebody say, set the scene. 
we got to just kind of lay down a few things here. And I've brought my trusted prop along with me once again. And I've got my thick markers. So those of you at the back, there's no excuse. You can see. Here's what we got to do. we got to ask ourselves a few questions. If we're going to fully understand this, we want to begin with this. Bear with me as I write. we got to understand and ask this question. Who is God? Somebody say, who is God? Y'all read that okay? Don't judge my like neatness of my printing, but can you, is that big enough? You can read that? Okay. Who is God? What does this text tell us about God? A couple things right off the hop. It tells us in verse 1 that he is the vine dresser. He is the vine dresser. I'll put verse 1 like that in brackets. Here's the thing about the vine dresser. Here's what that's code for. He's the boss. He is. It's true. If you have a garden or a field or a vineyard, that sort of thing, the vine dresser is the one that goes out into that vineyard and he tends to the crop. He manages the vines. He cuts things away. He oversees the whole operation. So right off the bat, if this is what's true about God, which it is, we need to come to to grips with the fact that he is in a position of authority over us. We don't always like to acknowledge that. We kind of like to get up on our little high horse and say, I'm the authority. I'm driving this boat. This is my life. But things would go much better for us if we just came to grips with this. God is in a position of authority. Whether you realize it or acknowledge it or not. It says in verse 2, he has the power to prune and to take away. Regardless of what you think. He's not asking the vine what the vine thinks. What the branch thinks. What the leaf thinks. He's just doing what he's going to do. Now, that's one thing it says about him. Also in verse 1, Jesus says, I am the vine. He's the vine. Later it says he's the true vine. I love this image because you guys, I mean, you're smart people. You're probably all better gardeners than I am. You guys understand this. The vine is the source. It's the center Stuff grows when it's connected to the vine or to the stem or to the trunk of the tree. And that's what Jesus is saying here. So that's a little picture. Who is God? Next question we've got to ask ourselves is, who am I? Somebody say, who am I? What does this text say about who I am, who we are? Very simple. In verse 5, it says that we are the branches say branches Jesus is the vine the father is the vine dresser we are the branches now again you're smart people branches of a tree it makes sense branches are connected to the vine or the trunk or the source the branch goes out from that and stuff grows on a branch at the end of a branch make sense obviously it does because we all know what trees look like okay Here's the thing about a branch, what this is saying, two things. Number one, you as a human being, you have been given the capability and the capacity to connect with the vine, which is cool. You think about that. God could have set this whole thing up in any way that he wanted, and I'll do my thing, he says, and you people, you just stay out of my way, stay out of my sight, don't bother me. But God actually wants a relationship with us. He's given us the capacity in our DNA. We're supposed to be connected to him. I find that super cool. And the other thing that's cool is that as a human being, God has given you the capability to produce fruit in your life. So we're going to talk lots about that, um, which leads us to the next bit. What does God want? 
What does this text say about what God wants me to do or what he wants from me? In this, it's very clear, and we just said it. God wants us to bear fruit. See that? See how simple that is? We just pulled that right out of the text in two or three minutes. God is the vine dresser. He's the vine. We're the branches, and he wants us to bear fruit, much fruit. Now, the thing about fruit, what we're talking about, just keep it very simple. Fruit, when we're talking scripturally, it's just things that are produced in our lives. The, the crop, the harvest that shows up in your life, the things that are visible in your life, that's fruit. Obviously, there's lots of different kinds of fruit. Some of them aren't very good, right? God is not telling us to bear any kind of fruit. Like, he doesn't want you, he doesn't want the fruit in your life, the crop, the harvest in your life to be the fruit of Anger, for instance. Yeah, that's fruit, but it's not good fruit. He doesn't want your crop, your harvest, your fruit to be lust or sexual immorality or bitterness or unforgiveness. He doesn't want you growing the, the crop of fear in your life. He doesn't want you growing the, the harvest of chaos in your life, right? It's talking about good fruit that's in line with God's character and God's nature and God's heart and his will. Make sense? Good fruit. There's all kinds of good fruit. See that? Caught that. Thank you. All kinds of good fruit listed in the scriptures, by the way. For instance, two examples, not exhaustive list. Think of something like the fruit of the Spirit. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. i got to count them out like that or I don't remember them all. That's for me. Things like that. Right, We know that's the kind of fruit God wants to see in our lives. What about the fruit of righteousness? Just this pursuit of I want to do the, the right thing in your sight, God. That's fruit that comes in our life. What about fruit like cultivating a heart for lost people? Like you actually care about people that don't know Jesus and you want to share the gospel with them. That, that's fruit. What about a heart for discipling other people? You want to come alongside them and help them grow in their faith. That's good fruit. What about the fruit of using, discovering, cultivating, growing in the gifts that God gave you? How many of you know God gave you gifts? That should be every hand, please. That's good fruit. What about doing good works? Good works appearing in your life as a Christian? That's good fruit. You, you get the point. That's the kind of stuff God wants to see in our lives. This is the kind of fruit that is, is, is like an offering of worship to God. It's the kind of fruit that helps you become an effective, productive kingdom worker. Frankly, it's the kind of fruit that helps you just enjoy your life better too. Good fruit. We okay on good fruit? So, one last thing about fruit before we move on. Fruit comes from somewhere. Fruit, in other words, has a root to it. If you go into the store and you go to the bin or the display of apples and you pick up an apple, you know that that apple didn't just magically appear there, right? Some guy brought it in on a pallet or something, but I don't know. It didn't just, someone didn't just snap their finger and now we got apples in the bin here. That apple started out as a seed and that seed was planted in the ground and it was exposed to the right conditions, right? It was watered, it was good soil, the sunlight, all that stuff. And it started to grow and get stronger and, and it was growing up like this and then it grows out. The branches shoot out, the buds on the end of the branch and then the apple at the end of the bud. See all that? The apple here came from all the way back here. Make sense? Fruit always comes from somewhere. 
You don't just snap your fingers in your life and magically this good fruit appears. It begins somewhere. It's a result of other things happening. And I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you what that thing is that produces the good fruit in us. Because this text is full of it. So the next thing I want to talk about is how do I bear good fruit in my life? If I understand that God is the vine dresser, he's the vine, I'm a branch, I ought to be connected to him, and he wants me to bear fruit, how do I do that? We're going to talk about that. If you want to bear good fruit in your life, it depends entirely on how connected you are to the vine. Who's the vine? Jesus is the vine. In fact, I should write that here so you guys don't forget. You wouldn't forget anyway, but Jesus is the vine. We're going to refer to that quite a lot as we go. Depends entirely on your connection to Jesus. Verse 4 in our text says this. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself. So stop right there. If you in your life are doing the solo act, you don't really care about God. There are lots of people that don't even believe in God. Or maybe you do, but you don't really go much further than that. Or yeah, he's there somewhere and he's there if I need him. If I get into a jam, I'll call on him. But you just kind of are doing your own thing. You're not super connected to the vine. I'm just telling you, because it says in God's word, you can't bear this kind of fruit if that's where you are. I'm not insulting you. I'm just telling you what it says. You can't bear this kind of fruit if you're doing the solo act without Jesus. He doubles down on this in verse 5. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Makes it very plain. Now, obviously, he's not meaning, oh, if you're not connected here, you just freeze like a statue and can't do anything, can't think, blink, breathe, any of that stuff. Obviously not. There's lots of people that aren't connected to Jesus who don't know Jesus who are doing lots of stuff in the world, right? You can do all kinds of things. You could even do good things. You can make good money, work hard, have a good family, have a good life, make good memories, the whole gamut. Try to do good things, all that stuff. But if you are not connected to Jesus in it, you are not doing this right here. You are not, and I'm not saying that to insult you or belittle you. I'm just saying God wants to do something in your life, and it starts right here. So if you don't know Jesus, if you're not walking with Jesus, this is where it starts for you. And we're going to talk more about that as we go. It says, the, the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Somebody say abides. abides. If you've been hanging around in our church for the last couple few years, you will know that that word abides has come up a lot. It's a super important word scripturally. In matter of fact, we read 11 verses this morning. It wasn't a real long text. The word abide or abides is in that text 10 times. So when it is repeated that often in that short of a frequency, we got to pay attention. God is trying to show us and tell us something here. That word abide, by the way, when you see the word abide in the scriptures, it's always, always, always talking about relationship. Somebody say relationship now. It's a highly, highly, highly relational word. Abide means you get with, you stay with, you get close to, you walk with, you look to, you do life with that person. Abide, relationship, highly relational. That's what this is talking about, a relationship with Jesus. Here he says in verse 5, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. See the connection? I'm no math guy, but the equation's pretty simple for me. 
just saying right here. In fact, I'm going to write it down. If you want to bear fruit, we're going to capitalize this bad boy right here. Bear fruit, if you want that in your life, it's all about abiding in, I'm going to abbreviate relationship with Jesus. If you want to bear fruit in your life, it's all about abiding in relationship with Jesus. Let me, don't even take my word for it. I'm going to read that verse again. Jesus says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit, period. Notice there's no sidebar on that. There's no star beside it. That's the truth of God's word. That's the equation he wants us to get onto today. Here's the really cool thing about this. It's not about what you do. It's not about your effort, though it requires effort, right? We've got to put some effort in, but it's not primarily about that. Your ability to bear fruit is not based on your own morality. It's not based on your own religiosity. It's got nothing to do with your church attendance. It's got nothing to do with you proving yourself to God. Later on, he uses the language of prove. We'll talk about that. That's not what happens, though. The way that this works is when you abide in relationship with Jesus, and we're talking about spending time with him, getting into the word, spending time in prayer, serving others in his name, spiritual disciplines, all that stuff. When you do that, you get close to Jesus. He changes you. He changes you. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, as we behold the glory of the Lord, as we get in close to Jesus and take a hard look at who he is and we sit at his feet in his presence, in his proximity, it says we are changed from one degree of glory to the next. I love that. Yes, you got to try. Yes, there's effort to put in. Yes, there's things for you to do. But he changes you. I absolutely love that. And what's cool is he might not change your circumstance right away. Maybe you're in a jam or something this morning. What he's going to do, though, is he starts changing you. He's going to change your heart. He's going to change your nature. He's going to change your desires. He's going to change the works of your hands. He's going to start by changing you. And you say, how does that work? I'll tell you how it works. Supernaturally. That's the Holy Spirit at work. Yet, it is a little bit, there's a little, you'll see where I'm going with this. If you think that sounds crazy, you know sometimes how human relationships work. Sometimes, when you spend time with someone that you love, they rub off on you. You know what I'm saying? Here's my example. You knew there was one coming. I never used to be a dog person. Never had a dog. My grandparents had a dog. I wasn't, I didn't hate dogs, but he could be cute over there, and I'll do my thing over here, and we're good. We had an understanding, right? And then I met Lori. Somebody said, uh-oh. It worked out very well for me, actually. And before too long, Lori's family got a dog, and they from my perception, man, they were obsessed with this dog. It was, it was a little bit at the time annoying. I'm like, why? Like, what's so special about this dog? And they would pay attention to it and, and like hug it and all this stuff. And they even did this voice as though they were speaking for the dog. I'm not going to do the voice for you right now. But I used to be like, oh, that's annoying. Like, why? What's, it's just a dog. But 
over time, this dog lived to be 15 years old, and over time, I'd hang out with Lori, and the dog would be around. I could sense my heart changing toward dogs. And all of a sudden, I started petting the dog, and I started talking to the dog. I started talking to the dog in the dog voice, <laughs> which I once hated. And I'm now a dog person, and now we have a dog of our own. And that all started just because I would spend time with Lori and the dog, and it rubbed off on me. Okay, you get the point? Well, much more so we're talking about spending time with Jesus, because the Holy Spirit brings about this change in us. We good here? Okay. And look at some of this change in here. Verse 9 says this, As the Father loves me and I love you, you abide in my love. What Jesus is saying here is this. You need to uh, remember the fact that his love is going to change you. His love. Th this is something that we will never wrap our hands and our mind around on this side of heaven. Really fully understanding the love of God. We get glimpses. We grow in our knowledge of it. But, but we'll never. It's, it's incomprehensible, the love he has for us. But... When you get even a little morsel more of understanding here and there, listen to me, it changes you deeply. It, if, when you start really understanding the love that God has for you, it totally alters your life because of this. Another one, verse 10, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. That's obedience again. We talked about obedience last week. I'll go ahead and not do a whole recap on that. But the point is this. When you spend time with Jesus and you're sitting at his feet and you're walking in relationship with him and the Holy Spirit is working on you and changing you, one of the things you're going to start to see is, I actually want to do the things that please him. You know how it was maybe before you were a Christian, maybe even early on in your walk? You didn't really care that much. Let's be honest. Why would I listen to Jesus? Why, would I do, why do I care what he says? if he's even real, right? But all of a sudden, when you spend time with him, I just want to do what you want me to do. And yes, we stumble a lot in that, and he has lots of grace for us, but that's a change that we see in us when we spend time with him. So you get the point. That's not an exhaustive list, but here comes the question. You ready for the question? I thought someone would say question. Anyway, don't answer this out loud. This is for you to digest yourself. The question is this. Am I bearing good fruit? What kind of fruit is being born in my life in this season? I don't really care what kind of fruit you were bearing 20 years ago. When all the songs we sang this morning were brand new. What kind of fruit are you bearing right now? What kind of crop is visible in your life? What kind of works are you doing in your life? How, how are you treating people in your life? How close to God are you in your life right now? What sort of things are visible in you? That's the fruit. That's the crop. That's the harvest. I suspect you would probably answer it in some capacity of there's probably some good stuff and there's some stuff that isn't so good. That's my answer. I've got stuff to work on. But I find the news to be really good that here's what Jesus isn't saying. Hey, if you're bearing bad fruit in your life, you've got to try harder. Maybe you do have to try harder. He's not saying... If you're bearing bad fruit, come over here so I can... Maybe we do need that a little bit. But what he's saying, it's actually an invitation. If your life, if the fruit that is being yielded in your life right now, if you look at that and go, oh man, I do not like what I see, it's an invitation to do this. I don't know what your issue is. I don't know what the bad fruit is, but, but the answer is the same. 
you've got a, an opportunity to press in close to Jesus, to walk more closely with Jesus, to surrender yourself to Jesus and say, let's go. That's what he wants. Now, let's move on. A couple more sections to cover here. I want to talk about what happens to branches that don't bear good fruit. Slightly sobering, but it's in here, so we've got to talk about it. You see those two verses on the screen. Jesus says in verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, the vine dresser, takes away. Verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Sounds kind of intense, right? What happened to the nice flowery Jesus that was all encouragement, right? Well, sometimes he has things like this to say. Actually to encourage us in a way. We'll talk about that. Now, people disagree over the nature of what these two verses are saying. Some people, there's kind of two camps. The first camp is this. Some people say that's talking about non-Christians. And, and they appeal to the fact that God allows all people to live and breathe and exist and make their choices. So in that regard, they're sort of part of like the tree, if you will. Because he's letting you live, he's letting you breathe, he's letting you do your thing. And, and through the course of your life, God is being patient with you if you're not a Christian. And he's inviting each person to trust in him, to surrender their lives to him, to repent of their sin, to come to faith in Jesus, to understand that he died on the cross to pay for our sins so that we don't have to. He rose in victory to secure our salvation. And he's inviting us to get into that, to put our faith in Jesus, to put our confidence in him. But one day, if that decision is not made, because you have a choice, if that decision is not made, the end of your life will come and you will die. And that's where this language comes in about being taken away and withering and the branch being gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Like you should know. There's a lot of merit in that because hell is a real place. If we don't express our faith in Jesus and trust in him for the forgiveness of our sins, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So when you die, you've got a debt to pay and it's your life. You, you die. You are condemned. You are sentenced. You literally will go to hell. That is not what God wants for you, but it is the truth. So that's kind of one camp of how people read these couple of verses. The other camp is this. Some people say this is talking about Christians or at least some people with some sort of a Christian ethic and they appeal to things like this. It says every branch in me, you see verse 2 up there, every branch in me. Well, the fact that it says in me, that means it's talking to Christians, people who are in Christ because people that aren't, they're, they're not in him. So why would you need to specify, right? That's one of the arguments. Another one is this. Uh, it says anyone who, did, uh, anyone who does not abide in me. Well, obviously a non-Christian isn't abiding in Jesus because that's like the whole thing. So it, why would they specify, right? That's what some people say. Some people think this is talking about Christians that aren't super serious in their walk with Jesus or maybe even were never truly Christians. They were just kind of hanging around this for a while. And whatever the case is, it says these kind of people, look verse 6, they will wither. Somebody say wither. I've seen that to be true in my own life, by the way. I think there's a lot of merit in that school of thought as well. Because I know in my life, I've been a Christian for a number of years. 
it's gone. It's, anyway, I know in my life there are times where, by the grace of God, I've got my eyes on Jesus and I'm walking with him and, and that's great. But many times I've kind of taken my eyes off him. And it's not that I've gone out and just lived this wild kind of crazy life, whatever. But I just kind of drift like this, kind of stray, not really involving him in my life as I should. And I can tell you this, those are the seasons where my soul literally feels withered. Something just feels missing. Something feels off. And then you realize, oh, like I have like not really been spending a lot of time with Jesus. And he's the vine, right? It just makes sense. Some people think that when you get to that verse that says, these branches are taken away, that this is talking about God kind of removing people from fellowship in a, in a local church, let's say. And I guess we've all kind of seen that in some ways. There are people, and I'm not judging, I'm not trying to paint with broad strokes, but there certainly is such a thing as people that hang around in the church. They at least appear to have some sort of identification with Jesus, but they're kind of floating along on the side a little bit, not really wanting to dive in. Those kind of people seem to find a way to self-select out over the course of time. Then it talks about the branches being burned. Some people say, this is talking about people that weren't really truly Christians at any point. Yeah, maybe they went to church or they said, yes, Jesus is this or he's that, but it never expressed itself in any sort of heart change. Here's the deal. Whatever camp you might fall into, and I think there's merit in both of them, let's get to the bottom of this. What this is not saying is if you have a bad day, you slip up, you stumble, maybe you even go through a little stretch where you're not doing this, this just isn't happening in your life. What he's not saying is you're going to be cut off and you're going to be burned. That's not what he's saying. This is talking about a chronic lack of fruit, an ongoing lack of this. It says in verse 8, by this God is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. In other words, the fruit that is born in our lives, the good fruit, is proof that we belong to Jesus. It's not how you earn your salvation, but when you see this happening in your life, as a result of this happening in your life, it's proof that, hey, this is, this is working out. You're on the right track with this. But the opposite must also be true then. If you're chronically not bearing good fruit, I'm in somebody's kitchen this morning now. If you're not bearing good fruit, what does that mean? Why is that? The Bible actually tells us you ought to test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Test yourself to make sure you know where you're at. Here, here's the bottom line. If you look at this and you go, oh dear, I'm not sure that's talking about me. I'm not sure this describes my life right now. I'm not really sure where I went wrong. Or maybe I, maybe I, I don't know, I'm not a Christian and I've never professed to be. Or maybe I kind of just always thought I was because I went to church or whatever, wherever you might fall into that camp, if there's any conviction in this in your life, here's the good news. This is not an invitation to worry and lament. It's an opportunity to turn and repent. Whatever reasons you're not seeing this in your life, it is an invitation to start doing this. Here's the great news about Jesus. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter for how long you have not been bearing fruit. You maybe have been unfaithful and unfruitful for years. But when you turn to Jesus, when you make it your purpose to draw near to Jesus, he's going to draw near to you. And he says, let's start doing this. That's the invitation he is making to you today. Inviting you. Ready to start bearing fruit in your life. Last section I want to cover is this. 
What happens to branches that do bear fruit? Right? That's the branches that don't bear fruit. That's a time to repent. What happens to the ones that do bear fruit? Because, again, by God's grace, it is possible to be doing this in our lives. This is a real thing. You might in this season be walking with Jesus and getting close to him. And you might be noticing the change he's starting to produce in you. And you might notice the fruit in your life changing. Praise God for that. That's awesome. What's God saying to you if that's the camp you're in? What does he do with branches that are bearing fruit? Well, I got four things. The first one is this. He prunes them. You're like, I thought this was going to be uplifting. This pruning thing, it says right here in verse 2, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. That concept of pruning, again, unqualified. Don't ask me to come and do any pruning in your garden. Don't do it. But pruning is the selective removal of certain parts of a plant. Maybe there's clutter on the bush in your yard. Stuff is just growing wild or it's growing in on itself and it's not really growing the way it's supposed to be. You might go in with the hedge clippers and cut that off. Maybe there's a damaged branch or a broken branch or a diseased part of the tree. You you go through and you target those areas. You cut them off. Even though your goal is for the tree to be big and strong and healthy, you're cutting pieces off of it. That's pruning. Now, pruning isn't always super pleasant. I'm sure the tree doesn't always like it when it sees you coming with the hedge clippers, right? Not always pleasant, but I want to say this. It's a good thing. We might even think pruning is unfair at times because after all, look, I don't know what you want from me, Jesus. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to pour into this. I'm earnestly trying to do the right thing, and I can feel myself getting closer to you, and I can see the fruit in my life changing, and now I've come into some difficulty. Why? That's unfair. Guess what? That's the way that it works. Don't be surprised when you actually set your mind to this that the heat gets turned up on you before too long because that's what the pruning is. Because God is going to look at you and be super pleased that this is happening and he's going to say, let's see some more of this in you. But there's things in your life that we got to cut away first or else you're not going to be able to have more of this. Give you an example. I don't care that this is intense. I'm going to say it anyway. You're welcome. For me, it was pornography. I knew it would get dead silent in the room when I said that. It was. That was a part of my life. I ain't perfect. Got lots of work to do. But years ago, I decided I want to, like, start pursuing this a little more. And I could feel, I could literally sense God changing my heart in certain things. And it wasn't too long before he said, that area of your life, that pornography thing, it's got to go. Here come the hedge clippers. For me personally, it wasn't even getting rid of the pornography that was the hardest part. It was when the Lord said, part of your pruning is you've got to go tell people who don't know this has been happening, who are close to you, who would obviously be hurt if they knew it was happening. That was unpleasant. Let's not pretend. But I'm so glad that he did that in my life. Because I actually went from an area of bondage to an area of victory because God did a work in my life. You guys probably have examples from your own lives as well. 
that's what the pruning is. Yes, it's not always nice to have the heat turned up on you. It's not always nice to have the pain. It's not always nice when God starts lifting up rocks and turning over stones where you've got stuff buried under. You'd rather him not go there. But it's for your good so that you will bear more fruit. Pruning is often painful, but it is always for a purpose, and it's for your prospering. Pruning, I'll say it again, is often painful. It's always for a purpose so that you can prosper. And I want our heart to be this. I love you. I want this to be your heart. Yes, we don't always like the experience of the pruning, but let our heart be, Lord, you know what? Come and do what you need to do in me. I trust you. I want to bear good fruit. I want to see more of what you want to see in my life. So do what you need to do. I trust you no matter what. Let that be our heart, friends, okay? That's something we got to grow into, but let that be our heart. Second thing is this. What happens to, we'll, we'll turn this to like no doubter of a positive right here. Okay, you ready? Second thing that happens to branches that do bear fruit. Look at verse 7. Jesus says, if you abide in me, leads to this. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is talking about our prayer life. Somebody say prayer. As we've discussed, that's not saying that Jesus is your genie in the bottle. You can ask for whatever you want, even if it's bad or dumb, but just say in Jesus' name and then he has to do it. Eh, not what it's saying, okay? This is talking about things that are in line with his character and his nature and his will and his will for you. Here's the cool thing. Remember what I said? When you do this, he starts to change you. He's going to start changing the prayers that you pray because you're going to be praying and changing more onto his heart. You're going to be having what it says, the mind of Christ, the Bible says. You're going to not be praying for the dumb, stupid, selfish things you used to pray for. You're going to be growing in that, and you're going to just sort of, I was going to say naturally, it's supernaturally, you're going to be more instinctively praying things that are in line with God's will. And he says, when you pray those things, I'm going to do them for you. In other words, when you do this, you're going to see an, an, an increase in the effectiveness of your prayer life. Anybody want an increase in the effectiveness of their prayer life today? There it is. I'm going to have this thing beat right in. That's okay. Actually, it doesn't belong to me. Anyway, nobody tell on me. Two more things. Branches that do bear fruit. Uh, next slide, if you look at verse 11, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This, these things I have spoken to you, he's talking about this. And when you do this, your joy is going to be somewhat. No, it's going to be full. Full joy. This not, we talked about this last week. It's not happiness that's on the surface level. It's this deep abiding sense of, wow, I'm going to be all right because God is good. And you can have your full trust and your full confidence in the character of God and the goodness of God and the promises of God and the provision of God and the faithfulness of God. That rises up in you. That's awesome. How many of you want joy, full joy in your life? Here it is, right here. Finally, this, verse 8. What happens to branches that do bear fruit? Jesus says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. God is glorified when you bear fruit. I want to just remind you of something. God being glorified, that is literally the reason you were created. 
That is literally the reason you are on this rock spinning around the sun. It's not for your honor, your glory, your fame, your pleasure, your convenience, your wishes. You were made by God and for God. And when you do this, it says, it glorifies him. When you are doing this, it actually points to who he is. It actually reflects who he is and magnifies who he is, which is literally the intended purpose of your entire life. You were made in God's image to bring him glory. And that will happen when you are bearing fruit because you're abiding in relationship with him. It's very simple. Do you see this in God's word today? Yes. Yes. So let's wrap this up then. We all have some choices to make in response to this. Because none of us are perfect. None of us are doing this perfectly. You might be an 8 on the scale. You might be a minus 8 on the scale. We're not doing it perfectly. But we have the choice to press in and accept his invitation. First of all, if you're not a Christian, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've never understood that he died for you because he loves you, he died to pay for your sins, and he rose in victory to secure your salvation, if you've never trusted in him with your life, You need to do that. That's where it starts for you. Come talk to us later. We'll have some leaders standing up here at the front when the service is over. Come and pray with us. We'd love to do that for you. Most of us in the room are Christians. And we can always press in and do this more and more.